You're listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Backstage at Lyric features in-depth interviews with singers, conductors, and creative talents at one of the world's great opera companies. For additional podcast interviews, subscribe to our RSS feed or visit us online at lyricopera.org. Soprano Ana Maria Martinez, tenor Piotr Pachawa, and music director Sir Andrew Davis are backstage at Lyric. I think it's one of the great grand operas of the 19th century. Uh, it's one of the greatest of all French operas. You know, you put it right up there with Pelias Melisande and Carmelites, and uh, it's, it's a fantastic piece, which tells the story in tremendously vivid detail. I hope it will be uh, a part of my repertoire for many, many years. It's a great repertoire for a tenor of my type. I mean, for just for lyric tenor, you can show any possibilities how to play with the voice, the elegance of phrases, and uh, also high notes or low notes. It's, it's really everything there. And also the kind of expression is very close to my private uh, point of view. You have a lot of bubbly, very upbeat music with the young girl. And then my favorite moment musically is, is um, when she comes out after the garden scene with Faust and she says, he loves me. And it just is so beautiful. Time stands still. It is oh, just gorgeous, lush, 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 beautiful. The orchestration is remarkably um, colorful and was very appropriate. Starting with the introduction, there's a prelude to the piece, which is quite simple, but, but sets the mood to an extraordinary extent. So you have the kind of seriousness and the pain and the grandeur all at once. And also you hear the, the tune of Valentin's aria at the beginning, which is kind of nice. Thank you for downloading this episode of Backstage at Lyric. I'm Mark Travis, producer for this series. We're playing an audio transcript of the Lyric Opera Discovery Series session for Gounod's Faust. For those of you who may not be aware of the Discovery Series, it's panel discussions featuring singers, conductors, directors, and opera experts. Lyric does one session per opera, and they usually take place within a few days of the opening of each production. The Discovery Series is open to the public, and it's a terrific way to get up close and personal with Lyric's artists. You can check out Lyric's website at lyricopera.org for dates, tickets, and complete Discovery Series information. Lyric includes all of the Discovery Series sessions as part of the Backstage at Lyric podcast. And now on to the Discovery Series session for Faust, featuring soprano Ana Maria Martinez, tenor Piotr Pachawa, and Lyric Opera music director Sir Andrew Davis. Lyric Opera's dramaturg Roger Pines moderates this session. Good evening. I'm Roger Pines. I'm dramaturg at Lyric Opera of Chicago. I'm delighted to welcome all of you to the second Discovery Series session of the 2009-10 season devoted to Gounod's Faust. Lyric Opera is extremely grateful that the evening after our opening night of this production, our leading lady, our leading man, and our conductor can all be with us. You should have cards, and um, at a certain point, I will ask you to pass them to the side where my colleagues will collect them. Any question that you would like to pose to this panel, uh, just write on the card, and I will uh, be going through them later in the hour, and I will choose as many as we have time for. Just to introduce our guests to you, um, first, Ana Maria Martinez who scored a triumph with us last season in her company debut as Nedda in Pagliacci. She has enjoyed great successes at prestigious houses all over America and Europe with engagements such as Michaela at the Metropolitan Opera, Amelia Grimaldi in San Francisco, Violetta and Donna Elvira at Covent Garden, Amelia and Louisa Miller in Paris, Fior di Ligi in Salzburg, 
Blanche in Dialogues of the Carmelites in Hamburg, and numerous roles at the Vienna Staatsoper. The most recent addition to her operatic repertoire, the title role of Dvorak's Rusalka, was her debut vehicle in the, in the 2009 season of Glyndebourne Festival Opera. Among her future projects are Turandot in Amsterdam and La Boheme, which will be her first staged opera in her native Puerto Rico. She returned to Chicago last month directly after appearing with her frequent concert partner, Placido Domingo, in Colombia and Peru. Lyrics Faust is the Polish tenor Piotr Bichawa, who made his company debut in last night's performance. He sung Faust at Covent Garden and also with a company with which he enjoys a very close association, the Zurich Opernhaus. Mr. Bichawa triumphed last season when he was seen as Edgardo in Lucia di Lammermoor in the Met's HD transmission in movie theaters worldwide. He's also starred at the Met as Lenski and the Duke of Mantua. In 2008, he sang his first Ricardo in Un Ballo in Mascara in Berlin and his first Prince in Rusalka at the Salzburg Festival. He's been heard at La Scala and in leading houses from Munich, Vienna, Amsterdam, and Warsaw to San Francisco and Tokyo. Among his projects this season are Bohème at Covent Garden and the Met and Faust at the Vienna Staatsoper. In addition to Faust, other French repertoire led at Lyric Opera by our music director, Sir Andrew Davis, has been the company's first Thais in more than 40 years and the lyric premiere of Dialogues of the Carmelites. This season at Lyric, he's also conducting Tosca and the Damnation of Faust. He's re- he returned to La Scala just a few months ago to conduct Britain's Midsummer Night's Dream. He's laureate conductor of the BBC Symphony Orchestra, former music director of both the Toronto Symphony Orchestra and Glyndebourne Festival Opera, and an enormously celebrated figure on the podiums of innumerable major orchestras and opera companies worldwide. The rest of his 2009-10 season finds him returning to the Metropolitan Opera to conduct Hansel and Gretel and leading concerts with many important orchestras, among them those of Chicago, Montreal, Philadelphia, Boston, and Toronto. So please join me in welcoming to the Discovery Series Ana Maria Martinez, Piotr Pichawa, and Sir Andrew Davis. Okay, here we go. Let's tell the story in 30 seconds, just to remind all of you. This is the traditional version. Faust, an aged scientist, sells his soul to the devil in the person of Mephistopheles in exchange for youth. Once Faust has been transformed into a handsome young man, he meets Marguerite, whom he seduces and then abandons. He kills Marguerite's brother, Valentin, in a duel, after which Marguerite goes mad. Faust and the devil arrive at the prison where Marguerite is awaiting execution for killing the child that she bore Faust. They sing, they urge her, excuse me, they urge her to flee with them, but she refuses, begging heaven's angels for salvation. She's redeemed, but Mephistopheles drags Faust to hell. Like I said, that's the traditional version. We'll talk about the way our production ends a little later. (laughs) So, just to remind you of what the dramatic content is, Andrew, is Faust simply a very enjoyable work and a fabulous crowd pleaser, or is it really a genuinely great work? Oh, it's absolutely a great work. I think it's one of the great grand operas of the 19th century. Uh, It's one of the greatest of all French operas. I mean, I think you've got to, you know, you put it right up there with Peleus Melisande and and, uh, Carmelites, and uh, it's it's a fantastic piece, um, which tells the story in tremendously vivid detail. Somehow all the music is tremendously right. Well, I suppose it's a stupid thing to say. I suppose you could say that about every opera, but there's something about the character. I mean, you know, um, for instance, Marguerite's waltz song, when she's uh, just so thrilled about finding these jewels and, 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 the, and the kind of glitter of the jewellery is reflected in the glitter of the, of the music. It's... Uh, and then there's this fantastic uh, church scene, for instance, with the organ. And in, in this context, the organ sounds like the most sinister thing you, you ever heard in your life. It's very, very extraordinary. Um, uh, and, and 
it has very grand gestures. I mean, the church scene always gives me goosebumps you know, when, the, when the choir and the organ come in in the distance and, and uh, with um, Mephistopheles' voice from afar um, kind of whispering in, 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 into Marguerite's inner ear. And, and the, the orchestration is remarkably um, um, colourful. And very always very appropriate, starting with the introduction, the sort of prelude to the piece, which is quite simple but but sets the mood to an extraordinary extent. Um, so you have the kind of seriousness and the pain and the grandeur all at once. Um, and also you hear the, the tune of Valentin's aria at the beginning, which is kind of nice. Now, the, the, but the thing has always puzzled me about that, and I'm sorry if I'm going off to tangent, and I will shut up and, get, let, this, and let these other people talk, but um, um, Valentin's aria was added uh, after the original performances, but Valentin's aria, the tune, comes in the prelude. So you think, aha, did he write this tune in the prelude that just never, you know, was never going to appear again? And then thought, uh, oh well, if I'm going to give Valentine an aria, this is a good tune for it. Or was that the prelude written afterwards too? I've never, I've never sort of actually researched. I've been wondering that. the same. Do thing. you know the answer to that, Roger? I don't. There we I'm go. Sorry I to always, say, I always love stumping. Let's Roger. Google it and find it. <laughs> yes, but um, but and and but the aria was premiered in English. In London, Was it really? That I can tell you about. It, the, the aria. What a that horrible we, thought. <laughs> the, the aria that we know so well as "Avant de quitter ces lieux," sung by Valentin was actually premiered in English as Even Bravest Heart May Swell at the Moment of Farewell. And it was premiered in 1863 in London for the first English-language production of Faust ever. And it was written for a particular singer, the greatest um, English baritone of the 19th century, uh, who was Sir Charles Santley, and who was a great star. And he wasn't going to do Valentin unless there was an aria there. And so Nuno wrote one. Um, Piotr, when we first see your character, you're about to commit suicide. Why are you about to commit suicide? Mm. You know, for, for, for my character, for the character of Faust, uh, it's uh, important to show the, the first uh, old uh, version so clear and... and, and uh, um, as, as uh, a big uh, difference to the young Faust, clearly and, and, and uh, very strong. And uh, in this production, uh, I have the possibility to make it very real. And uh, I don't know to answer your question, but uh, uh, the possibility to, to uh, work with Frank Corsaro... Uh, he is not the youngest man uh, as director, make me a huge uh, step forwards in, in the interpretation of this role. I'm very, very thankful uh, to do this three weeks uh, uh, work with him. I have to say that because it's very important for me, not just for this production, but for my all future Faust productions, I hope. Uh, when we first see your character on the stage... He's, he's desperately unhappy and he's about to yeah. kill himself. So why is he yeah. about to kill himself, you do know, you think? He's, he's just unhappy. He's a, he's a scientist. He's a man who's, uh, you know, his whole life is behind him. And he doesn't, doesn't found the sense of the life. And I know, I think it's many, many people like this in our world. And, you know, not many of them, they have possibility... <laughs> To, 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 to meet the devil. <laughs> uh, but, <clears throat> but I think uh, this moment of desperation, uh, of uh, hopeless, uh, is... You, know, you, you see, I don't know how many of, of, of you saw this uh, already the, yesterday. Uh, <laughs> this idea to, to keep the t bodies on the stage... As, as, as a symbol of, of, of scientists, of, you know, like Leonardo da Vinci, something like this. 
is bringing nothing. He's just lose his uh, direction of, of his uh, development or, or searching of sense of the life. And it's really helpless, uh, hopeless. And uh, that's the moment because he's going uh, to, on this small discussion with the, with, with the God, to, to, to say, you didn't, did nothing for me. Okay, then I take the opposite. And it's, it's a very strong moment. Mm. Anna Maria, in the second scene of the opera, you actually meet Faust for the first time. And you have, Marguerite has a very sort of demure response, I think, to him, as if there's never been, a, a, as, as if she has had no contact with a man who's been interested in her before. So what do you think about her life actually being like before this pivotal moment of her meeting Faust? I think that in, in the Gounod Faust, she's very sheltered. Very, very sheltered. Um, and I, 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 I specify the Gounod because with, with Goethe, she, we talked about this a couple of months ago, where she, by mistake, uh, was responsible for her mother's passing. Uh, when Faust would come and, and uh, they would have their, their trysts, she wanted her mother to sleep so that she could be with Faust. And uh, she would just give her something to help her sleep. But then there was, I guess, an overdose, and the mother was poisoned. And I think Gounod probably couldn't stand the thought of that. And, and it was just too much to bear. So he didn't want to touch on that with this portrayal of Marguerite. So I think she's tremendously sheltered. And uh, Valentin makes a big point of, of saying to Wagner, before going off to, to war, that he leaves Marguerite. And uh, because and, and uh, his mother, their mother, is no longer around to to be with her, to keep her safe, and uh, so it makes it very clear that he's her protector. Um, I wanted to say a little bit about the arias that we know so well for these two characters, um, Piotr. I assume you must have very fond, strong feelings for your aria "Salut de Mer" because the title of your operatic CD is actually "Salut." Yeah. And you do sing the aria on the CD. When we spoke um, a few months ago and we talked about the aria, you were very eloquent in talking about what it represents to you. So I hope you can say to this audience exactly what the feelings are in this aria that are the most important, what you're trying to communicate, and also what the vocal challenge of the aria is. Oh, first thing is uh, uh, you have to make two different things. Uh, one, the arias, uh, when somebody sings the aria in a concert or on the CD recital, and in, 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 the, in the opera, because uh, it's two different uh, things uh, in uh, dramaturgy. I don't know the name in English. Uh, <coughs> it's, a, it's a cavatina. It's not an aria. It's not, okay, it's a beautiful high C. You have to sing. It's, it's very difficult, and, and it's low and high and, and, and the great lines. But the uh, most thing is, uh, for, to me, to show the character of the Faust in that moment on the stage. Uh, it is a little bit shame, a little bit uh, showing uh, how... how falling in love he is as a young man uh, and uh, this place he described this place uh, where is he? he the place of Margarita that's a something special because <clears throat> it's not just like like other arias uh, they are you know some very nice rhythms and and it's going in in in, in the ear and and stays in 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 the heart it's uh, it's something very lyric and even the high C is written in a phrase. It's not something like alarmi or pensiero, I don't know what. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very intimate also. And uh, it's very important to, to show public this intim- intimacy, not just, you know, tenor singing, uh, <laughs> because it's not enough, I think. Uh, you know, it was funny because there's, uh, I took the aria... Salut as my, my, my title for, for, the, for the first CD. Uh, it's my first CD, and it was, you know, very, it's a little bit like joke, because it's, I introduced myself <laughs> with Salut and <clears throat> with first uh, opera recital on CD. And that's, Faust is uh, one of my central roles in that moment. Uh, 
and uh, the CDs, French, Italian, Romantic repertoire, exactly that's that what I'm doing now. And I was, I think it was just a nice idea. idea. <laughs> Um, Anna Maria, you had also talked with me about your um, your Jules song. Well, the whole the whole episode, the whole uh, transition from the ballad of the King of Tule, which is what you sing first, into the Jules song, and uh, about these fifteen minutes where she makes a very interesting sort of emotional path. So, what is going on in her head at this point, and how does she move from this? Restrained ballad of the King of Tule into this sparkling jewel song. I think another example of, of uh, seeing how sheltered she is is that here she is singing this this uh, the song the Radetule, and I think it's probably I've, I've often asked myself why is she singing this? What does this have to do with with anything that's going on here? Um, and I think that it's probably something that she sings as she does the chores around the house. And in this production, she's watering the plants and just going about her day. So I think it's just part of what she does, perhaps as a comfort to herself. Um, a lot of things have happened. Her brother has gone to war. She's just encountered Faust. And uh, he, you know, offered to, to uh, you know, escort her. And uh, all of these, these things have happened to her. Seemingly now for the first time. And in this Radetule, uh, she makes these asides that, that, uh, about, about uh, Faust, about, oh, you know, he, he seemed nice, didn't he? Oh, you know, and then she keeps singing, and then, gosh, I didn't know what to say, and I blushed, you know. So I, I just think of a very, very sheltered, very inexperienced, sweet, sweet first time of having these feelings. Um, and so I, I love how, it, how those, those uh, personal thoughts are interjected because you start to see her blossoming as a young lady in love. And so she's no longer the girl. She's now becoming a young lady. And it's important to see that transition. And then in the Jewel song, I think there's such great joy and playfulness. And I just remember being a little girl and going into my mother's drawer of, of jewelry and trying things on and pretending and then taking her lipstick and trying all sorts of things on. And so there's that playfulness, but also looking at herself in the mirror and saying, you know, it, it's, it's Margarita, it's not you. It's not your face, you know. And then she starts fantasizing about who it is and this grand lady and, oh, if I could only be that and if he were to see me now, I'm sure he'd find me beautiful. You know, all of these wonderful fantasies that I think we can all relate to and I think it's, it's written in a very beautiful way, very clear. Andrew, what is going on orchestrally that supports these feelings. I mean, you had mentioned a little bit about the Jewel song. What's going on in Salut de Meur that... Uh, well, uh, in Salut, of course, the most notable feature is the solo violin. And I, I always feel that, in a way, the violin represents to Faust this kind of idealized beauty, the, the sort of, you know, Goethe's ewige uh, weiblich. Um, so eternal he, feminine. Uh, the eternal feminine, yeah, well... But, but at any rate, the, 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 the violin solo is kind of his object of love. I mean, it's a represent, I don't know, this is just a thought that always, it has always seemed to me that way. Um, because he's talking about his, his love in, in very idealized and, and um, lofty terms. So this is like some shining object he's, that he sees her as. And then the violin solo kind of represents that, I think. So there's a kind of duet that's going on between Faust and his love between the, with, the, with the solo violin, which is, I think, a, I mean, it's one of the m- most famous, I think, violin solos in an, in an aria, in any opera. Um, and it's, it's exquisite, actually, the way that the, the two lines, the violin and the, and the, and the voice, kind of uh, um, complement each other and answer each other. It's very beautiful. And in the Jewel song, you have this... I mean, it's a waltz. It's a slow waltz. But it has this kind of lilting quality, which, again, represents... I mean, which underlines the, the, the kind of excitement. But the sort of... As you say, she's trying to restrain herself, isn't she? At one, at one point, she says, I mustn't be coquette, you know? <laughs> um, so uh, so it, it represents this 
kind of desire on her part to, to go into a world that's sort of unfamiliar to her, I suppose, in a way. I was struck last night by the emotional qualities of the, the extended love duet between Faust and Marguerite in a way that I have never been before. And it made an incredibly powerful impression. And it seemed to me that there are some very important transitions that go on. I mean, that love duet is in very particular sections. So I'm wondering, um, Anna Maria and Piotr, what you think that the turning points are in that love duet where a major change takes place between them. Because it seemed to me that there, things were just sort of very specifically laid out section by section in that love duet. Yes, a couple of, of points on a couple of sections in this whole scene. Uh, it's, it's like, like, like uh, in real, real life, you know, two young people, they try, uh, the man try to, to catch her, she's going away, and, and it's uh, musically, Gounod, it's described all these feelings, and I tried three or four times to go closer and closer, and she escaped, also musically, musically. and it's, it's really, and it's opening the next, next section, and uh, it's, uh, <clears throat> It's found, finally coming to the break. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, break in the in the in the uh, kind of uh, musically and and also uh, between us. You know, we I mean, she she's going away, but it's opening the next section because I'm I don't giving up and I'm I'm going step by step and step by step and then the finally we we go together and it's I think it's five or six moments like this. Right. And it's, it's really as it's described the, the genius of of of, uh, of Gounod, how he described his moments with with his music. It's just amazing, and it's so beautiful to sing because it's just written right for voices. Also, that's yeah. Anna Maria. You have a, a wonderful section in the love duet where you are saying finally, "I belong to you." And, uh, and I will die for you. And, but it's interesting, the way it's written, it's, it's very much in the lower part of the voice. And, and have you thought about why he would have set that declaration in such an incredibly quiet, intimate, low-voiced way? I think um, if we think about how we would speak those words or feel those things for the first time... Or it doesn't have to be the first time. It's just a real time. You, you feel your heart pounding. And you feel like a shortness of breath. And I think that you just get very quiet like this. And I think that that's probably what he was trying to do. And especially for a soprano, the lower part of the register is not going to be, uh, just scientifically, it's not going to be as loud, you know, as, as a high C. And, and I think that the, these feelings are taking her by surprise. And it's very intimate, uh, and that's something that Piotr has mentioned before, so many beautiful, intimate moments. It's very intimate, it's very real, it's, it's surprising her. I think she's just trying to find the courage, and it's almost like you feel, I don't know if you've all felt this, when, when your heart is pounding so, so hard in your chest and you feel both hot and cold at the same time. It's like you don't know what temperature your body is at that moment. You just, it's, it's just very, very overwhelming. And I think that that's why he said it there. Yeah. I, I also think that um, th- th- this is a very um, gentle moment when she sort of gives in, as it were, and, say, uh, and, and, and admits her own, her own love for Faust. And there's a kind of sense from the music that you feel that she feels this is not something she does lightly either, you know. There's almost a... Well, I hate to use the word sanctity because that gives has the wrong sort of overtone, but there's a I mean there's a kind of purity about it. So she's I mean she she views love in a very idealized way, and perhaps I mean obviously it's a very strong feeling that she has for this man. But I think that that's part of the thing that's what makes his betrayal so terrible yeah. is that you know she's not just giving herself lightly to this man. She, there's this sense that this is the true love of her life. And, and that moment musically, I think, conveys that real, really um, 
profound, the, the profundity of her feeling. And then when she finally yields to him, Andrew, there's this incredibly lush, grand outpouring from the orchestra. I mean, how do you view that? Is that a triumphant moment? Is that a joyous moment? Is that an ironic moment? No, it's, it's an ecstatic moment, I think. It, it's a moment of the celebration of this great thing that, that we're human beings are fortunate enough to experience. <laughs> you know, I think when we move into um, Act 3, uh, uh, in, in fact, before I get to that question, now is the time to pass your questions to... In which direction, Mark? It's just to the center aisles, and um, people will come and collect them, and um, I will look forward to receiving them. Okay, um, in this production in Act 3... We have an aria, a second aria for Marguerite, which is not always done. And, Andrew, is there a reason why you think this aria would be cut? Well, just to keep the plot moving, I think. I mean, it's a long piece. I, no, I don't it know. It changes the role. It gives the role so much more It's strength. a wonderful moment because it really shows the desolation she's feeling at her, at her being abandoned by him. And also, it's you know, it's in a long line of of great Gretchen am Spinnrader. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there she is um, uh, weaving, you know, to do something with her hands. I guess to uh, uh, and and this, as in with Schubert's great song, also with with Gounod, you have this the motion of of the spinning wheel that goes through the aria in the violins that's uh, it ha- has a hypnotic quality and i Completely. think and uh, so there's an obsessiveness about it don't you think uh, really i mean it's uh, that that kind of insistent um, motion that goes through the whole thing and it gets more and more intense in the vocal line. But Anna Maria, you should explain to the audience what you have to do in this particular production. You're not at your spinning wheel. No. <laughs> we call it the loom scene. And uh, it's, it's very complicated uh, having to thread this. I, I looked at it when we were staged. We staged it for like 10 minutes. And then the next time we saw it, we were on stage. And I said, what the, what do I do with this? And I just need a few days to learn how to, how to work it's this. A, it's a functioning loom. Yes, yes, yes. So it's, um, it's, it's not easy. But we figured out a way to do it. And um, so far, good. so good. So far, so good. No, but it does help the moment. And I think that, as uh, Andrew pointed out, something which I think is so, so poignant for this moment, it is obsessive. And I think that the, the, the repetition of, of this spinning and, and her thoughts, and she just keeps going back to, to Faust, and where is he, and, and her state, her emotional state, and again, where could he be, and he's not coming back. And I think one of the reasons it's so important to keep this in the piece is that you see the beginning of the depth of her depression, which makes her then very susceptible to the insanity that she goes into. But it's, it's a process. And I think it's, it's pivotal to show all the layers of Marguerite. And I think also when there is a deep, deep depression, the obsessive thoughts are always there. And I think that is what, what, uh, what takes the person to those depths. It's also a huge transition vocally that you're making because you move from the lightness of the jewel song and suddenly one has to become a very full lyric soprano indeed. Mm. Um, and isn't that isn't it sort of similar with with Gounod's Juliet, which you've also mm-hmm. sung? Doesn't she move into a more dramatic mode? Absolutely, and especially with the poison aria for Juliet at the end, quite a difference uh, with the with Juliet's waltz. And um, yeah. would you ever do you do you consider this aria vital enough so that you wouldn't consider doing the role if the aria weren't there? For for Marguerite, yeah. no, I think I'd still do it, but I'd I'd fight hard. <laughs> I'd really lobby for that aria to be there. Yeah, yeah. Because it gives such dimension Absolutely. to the character. Absolutely, you need it. You need it. Um, yeah, I think it's pivotal. Um, Andrew, I you had mentioned the church scene a bit before, uh, where Mephistopheles is menacing Marguerite. How? Does it starts with the organ, doesn't it? Right. How does that very sort of riveting atmosphere? How is that sustained 
later because there's more than just organ. There's an incredibly powerful orchestral role as well, isn't there? Yes, but, uh, um, yeah, um, the organ, however, it, it does sort of dominate the whole scene. Um, uh, and I must say, I, ha- I had fun for once because the, the bane of my life in this opera house is always dealing with offstage things, you know, <laughs> and the amplification, uh, amplification thereof, which always puts me in a very bad mood, and I start snapping at people and... Uh, <laughs> But because, you know, and, and the sound of the organ is important to get right. And uh, so I actually um, had a little bit of fun with that because being a, an ex-organist myself, um, uh, I, and we, frankly, we don't have the most sophisticated or instrument here, and it's electronic, but it, but it actually does have a lot of possibilities. So... So I had fun kind of choosing registrations for that and, um, uh, and, 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 and different sounds for different parts of the scene, you know. Um, so that when um, Mephistopheles has his big kind of monologue, the organ is, is quieter but still has this... this the, 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 the sort of intensity and the tension in that scene that, that is with this sort of pseudo-Bach, you know, um, in the background, is, is brilliant. I mean, it's a stroke of genius. Uh, Piotr, when we next see you, when your next appearance of this opera is the uh, duel scene where you kill Valentin, what, is, what do you think Faust's attitude is at that moment? Does he duel with, with Valentin? Is he confident? Is he reluctant? Is he defiant? What is his feeling there? You know, before it's coming to this scene, uh, it's what was Anna Maria told. Uh, she described this feelings of Marguerite. Where's the Faust? Where, why she's, he's not coming back? And that's the bridge in, the, in this whole scene, uh, what's happening later with Faust, because we don't see Faust in this production a while. <clears throat> and uh, I think the, the moment of, of uh, falling down Faust, after this love duet with Marguerite, uh, it's very important because I think Faust thought he did something wrong. Uh, being with together with Marguerite is not is not right, and he's f- he feels that very strongly. And also, when I can come back shortly to this duet between us, you don't have to forget, Marguerite is really a young person. Faust is not a young person. He's, not, he's a young person, you know, physically. But in his mind and his heart, he's, he is the same old man. With this old things, uh, what he's uh, already done in his life. And... Uh, that's make the huge difference. Uh, Margaret g- giving uh, herself to Faust, but his point of view is completely different. He just won't have her. It's his life is uh, uh, his love is is different to love of Margaret. And after it's happened, they are going together. Faust knows he makes the wrong thing, and is. Start. He's falling down. Uh, he's try. He starts to drink. Going to other people. Other. Uh, no. In this uh, uh, production, we 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 can see it really. I, I did one in in London, and it was really described like he's taking drug drugs and 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 it's really this falling down in in every anyway is very strongly and. And this moment before Ted said, before his confrontation with, with Valentin, is, uh, is just drunk and is, you know, everything is not important and he's just thinking about Marguerite and he knows he brings her you know, to a very unhappy situation and, you know, unhappy situation. Uh, but it's... Uh, uh, then is coming Valentin and he... he, he provoked him. I, I don't think Faust realized what he's doing in that moment. He's already on, 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 a, on a sail uh, from, from Mephisto, the old time. And uh, uh, it's just happened. 
He don't want to kill Valentin. He has no chance to kill Valentin because he, he cannot fight and he's, he's drunk. Valentin is a soldier and, and, and you know, it's just maybe one minute and, and Faust is dead. But Faust has a, by side Mephisto and uh, he is the man in the situation. This just happened. And it's make Faust take the Faust to the next level, lower level of of, of his, uh, mm, I don't know, humanity or, or, or and, and sort of self loathing destruction. Yes, and the fact that he despises yeah. himself in a the way. Frank Frank Rosara told told me, our director told me a very very important thing about Faust. I thought to this moment uh, that Faust is uh, a person he. Uh, is making his life, then he's going to be young and, and is happening what's happened, and uh, he's going back to the old and, and again. Uh, this is, he, Frank told me it's probably wrong because Faust, everything what he's doing, he's done maybe one or five or five hundred times already. He's, he has a feeling. Uh, in, in, in the special moments, like 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 uh, after the aria, Salut de Meur, is coming Mephisto and shows him the, the jewel and he has a plan already how to get Marguerite. He feels it already happened somehow in the past. And it's, he repeats the same mistakes he did already. And it's it's make the story more and more interesting and... and uh, uh, close to our normal life, you know, the people repeat the same mistakes again and again. And uh, they see uh, this hopeless to escape from them, to, to make, okay, when I get the same ch- chance to do this, I will, be this, make, make, will make this this time better. No, he made the same mistake. <laughs> and it is really so, they make the Faust so, close to, to normal people. He's really one of us. Before we uh, run out of time, and I, because I want to leave some time for some very good questions that come from all of you, um, we have to talk about the end of the production. So let's start out, Anna Maria, by talking about Marguerite and what happens to her. Normally she you know, ascends to heaven, to the angels, etc. So what is going on here? She ascends the staircase, and what is that all... Uh, she goes to her execution. I know, I know. <laughs> I had the same reaction when we talked about it when we were staging it. But I think that there's, there's, uh, uh, it's a very, very good choice on on Frank Corsaro's part. When we see her, she's she's insane, and she's made a, a kind of a doll, a rag doll. To the audience, it looks like a baby, and I think that she just keeps reliving what happened, what she did. And um, I also spoke with Frank that she's she's had a psychotic break, so she she goes between you know pretending that she still has her child and then going into the the, the part of her that that killed the child, and then trying to save the child and then oh it's okay it's okay should mama's here and that going I mean it's it's terrible it's terrible. Um, Faust comes she's she wakes up hearing his voice and is just blissfully happy and just wants him and wants him and wants to relive that with him. So she's again in her obsessive thoughts, just reliving, reliving uh, happy and tragic times. Um, I think that in this, in this particular production, at the end when, when, uh, when the Mephisto damns them and then you hear this, this chorus saying, you know, a redemption, I think she has a moment of clarity and she knows exactly what she has to do. She just has this moment of knowing who she is, where she is, what has happened, and what awaits her. I think in, it's very quick, but I think she, at that moment, has made peace with herself, and she's ready. And at that moment also, I, I go to the bottom of the stairs, turn out, and then just unravel the, the doll, and you see it's hay. And here I chose to kiss that doll first, and I think it was my way of saying I'm sorry to the child, and then showing that it's, it's not real. And then she goes, but she's made peace. And I think that's her redemption. 
It changes everything. It makes it so... No, truly. Um, what about Faust? Because the end for Faust in this production is different too, isn't it, Piotr? Yeah, it's, it's uh, very interesting because uh, we have so many p- possibilities to show how this piece ends for Faust. Because, okay, Margaret is going to heaven. It's clear. But what's happened with, with Faust? I thought, in my last productions, he's just going back to the old man. The, 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 the contract is, is uh, broken, and then he's going back to the to, to, to old man. has a couple of years more to leave, and then he's die and maybe go to the hell. It's an easy way. But Frank shows me another way. Uh, Faust stay in this age and have to live with these horrible things what he done next 60 years because he's maybe middle, uh, middle of 20 or something he, he has to stay in, in, in with these feelings and this uh, what, 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 what he done to, to Marguerite and, and this, this whole life he's in front of him he has to leave that that and that's I think more uh, more horrible <laughs> for, for, for for everybody because you, you you pay for this horrible things what what you done twice or, or five times stronger than than just back to the old, uh, to, 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 to old man and, and and you know finish your life you have to live with that and that's that's the point so, in our production and so that's that's his personal hell. That's his personal hell, yeah. And as far as Mephistopheles, when he descends the stairs, he has the contract with Faust in his hand, and the contract bursts into, into flames. I'm, I keep wondering how that is accomplished, because <laughs> yeah. it's a great moment. Oh, my that's, goodness. That's, that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. 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 So, and so what is Mephistopheles left with? I mean, the contract... Is. You know, for Mephistopheles, it's, it's, it's an easy thing, you know, it's coming the next crazy old man or, or somebody, <laughs> he uh, calls him and, and makes the new deal, you know, that's, uh, for the devil, it doesn't matter. <laughs> some, uh, some questions from our audience. Andrew, is there any reason to keep the ballet in Faust? No. <laughs> yes. No I, I, no, I really don't think so. Um, because, uh, you know, this is just a grand Parisian tradition. Every opera had to have a ballet. And I really don't think the ballet... I mean, it has some nice music. It has some charming, beautiful music, uh, but it really is just a distraction, really. So, I'm no, I've, I've never particularly wanted, wanted to do it. Um, a question for Anna Maria. In the opera, your character changes from a young girl to a passionate lover, to an older but sadder mother. How does your singing change to reflect the different characters? Uh, Come and find out. (laughs) (laughs) Great answer. Well, I think that that, uh, the way it's written is is very helpful to show this. You know, you have a lot of bubbly, very upbeat music with, with the young girl becoming young lady, as we talked about already. And then my favorite moment musically is, is um, when she comes out after the, the garden scene with Faust and she says, he loves me. And it just is so beautiful. Time stands still. It is oh, just gorgeous, lush, 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 beautiful. And I think that that's, that's getting very sexy and it's getting fuller, fuller singing. And then once you get into the other parts... Um, they're, they're much more central voice. You have some high notes, but it's much more central, much lower. Um, a lot of minor keys, a lot of sadness going on. Um, so I think that, that uh, the way that it's written shows, shows a lot of that. Um, a question about a character we haven't talked about at all so far. Why is Siebel in this story? What is the function of his role? This is the young man in love with Marguerite, a sort of 
little brother figure for her, I suppose. Can I just say one quick thing? Please. Frank would often, uh, Corsaro, in, in our staging rehearsal, say, come on, it's everyone's dream, every girl's dream. You've got a 15, 16-year-old boy dying for you. Enjoy it. You know? <laughs> so who knows? I don't, I don't know if that was the reason. But <laughs> so, but, well, it, it, but, I mean, Ciabella's a very sympathetic character, I think. And it, it, because it, it is this sort of innocent adolescent with raging hormones um, who, who, who has this passionate wish to protect her, which, of course, he can't. That's the other thing. I mean, it's all his good intentions and can't really do any good. Um, and actually, I, I, I'm, I sort of, when I was... Preparing the piece, I thought, oh, why are we doing the, the second aria for Sibel? But actually, I think that's a very beautiful moment. Uh, it's one really intimate scene between, between Marguerite and Sibel, and, and it actually, the whole aria and then the, the very short ending to the scene that you have, I, I find it very touching which makes then going into the church scene from that all the more sort of horrendous, I think. Uh, so I think it actually fulfills a musical and dramatic function very well. I think also, given his, uh, Siebel's innocence and, and purity, as, as you've said, it shows the kind of rapport that she had, let's say, pre-Faust. This right. was the closest potential romance that she had. And therefore, I think uh, Siebel is a kindred spirit to Marguerite. Um, and in that scene, you're right, in, in, in his second aria, it, it shows also with, within her sadness. And he says, I will always love you. I will always love you, Marguerite. And he tries to kind of make it unromantic by saying, like a sister. But really, I mean, he's so in love with her. He would do anything for her. And, and she's... she's at her wit's end for other reasons. But in the staging, this production, you are not with him when he's singing these loving words to you. You seem quite distracted and, and, un, and desperately unhappy yeah. at that moment. I think disconnecting. It's interesting, musically, at the end of the aria, and sometimes the aria is cut, but even if it's cut from, from the tonality that we end to the next music that we have with, with Marguerite... There doesn't seem to be any relation. No. It, you know, and I see that... Well, the fact that you go from A major in the aria just, and then all of a sudden you're in F major without yeah. any preparation, so it's, it's as though she hasn't heard him exactly. in a way. And it's, it's her, I see that as, as her disconnection, which is part of the depression and, again, part of what makes her already going down this spiral is that she's just not, she's not there with him anymore. And I think that's... In, so that, that answers your question, Roger, that... You have this little tender, very short aria, which just shows you how far the distance has become between the two of them, who were obviously formerly so close. Yeah, that's so clear in this production. Here's a rather controversial question. Has Faust really destroyed a truly chaste and pure angelic maiden, or would she have gone astray anyway? <laughs> May I? Yeah. <laughs> I think one thing, and, and I don't know that this answers the question, but I think that the reason this could happen with, between Marguerite and Faust, because if it didn't, he would, he would go, I'm sure, with another, as, as he found other women, that she was ready. She was ripe and ready at that moment for that kind of exchange, that kind of connection. Um, and she allowed herself to go there. I think she wanted that. It was her choice. I don't know if that answers your question, but I do feel strongly about that. I wanted to ask uh, Piotr and Anna Maria about French repertoire. Um, you both have appeared, not just Faust, but in Romeo et Juliette, uh, Gounod's other famous piece. Uh, Piotr, you've sung Werther, and Anna Maria, you've sung Michaela, Melisande, and Blanche. So for both of you, what additional French repertoire is out there that is sort of beckoning to you that you hope will be part of your future? For me, yes. I think uh, uh, 
I started with the French repertoire many, many years ago in my second season ever, ever uh, with Werther. And uh, it's every, every season, I think, Faust or Werther or <clears throat> Romeo is in preparation. I never sung it. I will, we'll see. Uh, we'll make it in, in next, next season. But I think it's, <clears throat> it's a great repertoire for, for, for a tenor my type. I mean, for just for lyric, lyric tenor, uh, you, you can show any, every possibilities how to play with the voice, the elegance of phrases, and and uh, the uh, you know also high notes or low notes. It's it's really th- it's everything there, and also the uh, kind of expression is very close to my to my to my private. Uh, Point of view, uh, this this uh, music, and uh, I hope it will be uh, a part of my repertoire for many many years. Because you know, you can sing Faust. Okay, Werther is young. Werther is maybe with fifty five. It's not so funny, but uh, Alfredo Alfredo Kraus uh, shows the opposite. You know, uh, I think it's uh, it's a kind of repertoire you can you can sing the, your whole life and and uh, it's coming uh, on other things like 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 uh, Manon or or uh, Hoffman in my, in my case in my my, my repertoire and uh, I enjoy it really because uh, I think also French uh, language helps very to to write to make a run, uh, right uh, position of the voice uh, and and to write uh, uh, projection and and control it. That's uh, sometimes Italian repertoire. It's it's very. You have to use another possibilities of of your voice and to make it more hard. Or uh, the vo- vo- vowels are, are a little bit more open, and that could be a little bit different uh, for lyric tenor to to make all this stuff. But I think uh, the French repertoire has so many things to, to do with bel canto also. Not in this boring bel canto, then everything, think, okay, bel canto, this is this, you know, singing and singing. No, it's, 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 uh, it's a kind of, of, of uh, control your voice. That's bel canto for me. It's, you know, you can sing bel canto also by Wagner if you control it, but who, who, who make it? Uh, <clears throat> That's that's really, uh, uh, and I hope really in in, in this specific um, kind of roles like 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 Faust, Romeo, and 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 Werther, it's it's for lyric tenor just the perfect way. Anna Maria, do you agree with what Piotr was saying about where French actually sort of places the voice? It, it has a very, I think, beautiful round uh, placement, yeah, exactly. uh, which is very comfortable for for the voice, and I think that it is. A, um, an interesting art that we have to keep in mind is, is how to, to make our voice sound honest, true, in every language that we sing. So it's not just about the pronunciation of the language and having it be as precise as, as possible, but that the, our sound is as honest, um, not manufactured, not manipulated, just honest with a clear diction that, that, and, and beautiful and musical and phrasing and yes, yes, the list goes on. But yeah, it, it is something we have to keep in mind. Definitely. So do you have some dreams in French repertoire? Well, I, I am looking forward in a few years to do my first Antonia in Hoffman. I'm looking forward to that. Um, and I, of the roles I've done, I would love to do Melisande more. I would love to do Blanche more. I think Carmelites is, is a piece that... Um, the two pieces that I've done that that I feel just change your life once you've done them are, are uh, being involved in Dialogues of the Carmelites and Rusalka. Those are just two that, that just change you. You're, you're not the same after that. Andrew, if you were going to choose one French opera that we've never done in our entire history, <laughs> what do you think your wish would be? Well, I mean, <laughs> um, I'm not sure what French repertoire we have done. I don't have the encyclopedia knowledge of, uh, the, of, of, of the... I mean, I, w- I would love to, to do, for us to do Pelleas Melisande here, but uh, it's a difficult opera to do in a, in a huge house because the whole piece is so intimate. It needs very careful direction, 
uh, staging with good acoustics. Um, and it's a piece that I also believe needs visually... Uh, and I did what I think is actually a fantastic production at Glyndebourne, Graham Vick uh, and Paul Brown, because it was actually colourful in a very... And I've seen so many productions of Peleas that you can hardly see anybody all night because it's all so gloomy. And in fact, and there's tremendous luminosity in the music. There, I mean, you know, it's... It, it's a world of dreams, you know. It's a kind of Jungian world in a way. I mean, I mean, uh, it, uh, and you feel that there's kind of spirits hover everywhere around this piece. Um, so, it, it, uh, and I, I, it, I would love to do it here, but it, but it's um, so. I mean, that's that doesn't qualify because we've obviously done it before, but it's been a long time. It has right? been a long when, time. when was Pelias last under Ninety three, ninety four, I think. <clears throat> um, uh, you surprised me because the composer I thought you were going to mention was Mr. Berlioz. Well, uh, yes, this was where I'm supposed to say we're going to do the Trojans, um, <laughs> which we will when we can afford it. <laughs> when will that be? <laughs> um, as far as the French language is concerned, I want to point out to all of you that you will hear from a cast where there is no native French speaker, you will hear the most exquisite French from everyone in this cast. It's one of the great pleasures of this production. We've come to the end of the hour. I want to thank this wonderful panel so much. You've been listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the curtain at Lyric Opera of Chicago. For additional interactive content and to order tickets, visit us online at lyricopera.org. <laughs>